Good morning to you. In May of 1960, Monument Records released a single that went like this. Only the lonely, dum-dum-dum-dum-be-doo-wah, know the way I feel tonight. Oh, yeah, 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 yay. Only the, no, the lonely, dum-dum-dum-dum-be-doo-wah, know this feeling ain't right. Dum-dum-dum-dum-be-doo-wah. Now, I clearly lack the talent to make that hook stick the way Roy Orbison did, right? That doesn't sound anything like Roy's version. But that song segues well into the question the Corinthians were asking in our text this morning. The question was, can only the lonely be holy? You see, some saints, having gotten saved out of the moral sewer that was ancient Corinth, began to think, well, sex itself must be bad, and hence their adoption of the slogan in this passage, it's good for a man not even to touch a woman. To those who thought the solution to sexual pollution was the utter rejection of procreation, Satan was having a field day within their relationships. Uh, in our text, there are married people who were seeking to get divorced because being single seemed more spiritual. Some who were married to other believers were saying, well, let's be married spiritually, but not conjugally. Uh, since all this sex around us in Corinth seems evil and vile, let's abstain and somehow remain clean. Uh, other saints whose spouses were not yet believers, someone came to Christ but their spouse didn't yet, were, were wondering, well, wait a minute, uh, does my marriage to an unbeliever make me unclean? especially when we are conjugally intimate. Now, of course, sexless marriages are not something God intended when He sanctioned the one-flesh union of the covenant of marriage, and such deprivation between a husband and a wife will lead to deep resentments and great potential for temptation. Now, there were these newly saved folks in the church who had unsaved spouses, folks who hadn't come to Christ yet, and they began to wonder, not just me, but what, what's the impact on my children? Are my children spiritually illegitimate because of this union? In fact, should I leave my unsaved spouse to reduce the influence of my unsaved spouse over my children? What if the unsaved spouse is not happy with this new person being inserted in our marriage? Uh, the, the Christian now honors Jesus, and that's pretty stiff competition to your spouse who didn't sign up for a third person in the marriage. If that spouse wants out, that unsaved spouse, is it okay to let them go or must I say no? If you were not yet married, you had questions. You wondered, do I need to remain single in order to be holy? If you were engaged, you wondered, well, should we go through with this? Should we break this off so I can be more holy? If you were widowed, you wondered, must I remain widowed? Is it okay to remarry? So as we noted last week, there's a key to interpreting this text. It's not a passage on Christian marriage. It's not a passage on singleness. It's not a passage on sex. Those things are all talked about. But the key that opens the lock of 1 Corinthians 7 is can only the lonely be holy? That is the question that they are asking. And that is the only key that will unlock this passage. If you try to make it answer other questions, you will do injustice, indeed harm to other 
Scriptures. And so, with that one question in mind, can only the lonely be holy? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 is on page 1214 of the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. And as we turn in the Word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of that Word. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning asking you to give us clear understanding of this passage, that you would brush away our confusion and tradition and emotion, and instead we would receive instruction from the Lord of life through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because we know that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so while the devil is more crafty than any beast of the field, and he seeks to confuse and distort, no matter whatever our station, so that we lack joy and contentment, we pray, Lord Jesus, that instead you would help us by truth today to understand exactly your will and to come to a conclusion over this Sunday and next on what we should do in each of our stations in answer to the question, can only the lonely be holy? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 has 40 verses, so buckle up, stay with me, all right? 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 1. Here's their question. Remember, the first six chapters are dealing with problems that Chloe's people are reporting, and now in chapter 7, it moves for the rest of the book to questions the congregation is posing to Paul. Here's the first question, verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. Now, concerning the matter about which you wrote, here's your congregational question. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Literally in the Greek, not to touch a woman. And Paul says, well, yes and no. It's true, but it's not universally true. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That is, for most of us, most of the time, it's not good for a man to be alone. The the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. When you choose to enter into the union of marriage, you choose to share one another. Uh, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come back together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say I wish that all people were as I am. Paul was single. Uh, But each has his own gift from God. That means singleness is a gift from God. Uh, Each one, one kind and one of another. Marriage is also, therefore, a gift from God. To the unmarried and the widowed, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. Not a bad thing. You're not incomplete. You're not a second-class citizen. But if they cannot exercise self-control, again, in this question of, of, of can only the lonely be holy, well, then they should marry. It's a good indication that they're not supposed to be single. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Meaning, not that this has more uh, power because this is God's thoughts and later are Paul's thoughts, but rather the Lord Jesus spoke on this issue and later Paul's going to speak on things that the Lord didn't speak on. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, that is, the Lord didn't speak on this, not, I, but the, uh, not the Lord, but I, uh, that 
if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever. So Jesus didn't speak about what happens in a mixed marriage. He only spoke about when believers were married. But Paul's now going to speak about what happens if you come to Christ after you're married if your spouse hasn't yet. And, and, and she consents to live with him. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, so the unbeliever says, I want out, well, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. So the Lord is assigning our stations and our singleness and our widowhood and, and our marriages and to which God has called him. You got saved into something. Um, this is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time he was called already circumcised? That is, they were Jewish or, or proselytes to the faith. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Just leave it the way it is. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Just leave it the way it is. Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But here's what counts. Keeping the commandments of God. Not all these trivial side things, but are you pursuing Jesus and following him? Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Well, don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to that opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man in the Lord. Meaning, look, you might be a slave every day, but you are most of all free in Christ. Likewise, if you are not a slave, if you were free, that's great. But you're a bondservant of Christ now. So you are a slave, you're a slave to Jesus. You were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. He's saying don't put yourself into slavery, and if you are a slave, try to see if you can get legitimately out of that. But don't worry if you can't, you can still serve Jesus in that. So brothers, in whatever condition you were called, let them remain there with God. Now concerning the betrothed, the, the engaged as we would say, I have no commandment from the Lord because Jesus didn't speak on it. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in, good view, that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? We're engaged. Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away, and I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this to you for your own benefit, to not lay any restraint upon you. He's not saying you can't get married or, or you have to be single, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided 
devotion to the Lord. That should be our number one thing, married or single, right there, that we would have undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards the person he's engaged to, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, well, we'll let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage does even better. A wife is bound to her husband for as long as he lives, but her husband dies. She's free to marry to anyone she wishes, but only in the Lord. She has the same freedom that any Christian has at that point, because it's until death do we part. Verse 40, yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. All right, so let's do a little review. You have a, a, a page in your, uh, in your bulletin, and it shows you where we've been and where we're going. So let's review where we were last week. Uh, last week, he started talking to the marrieds first. We got halfway through that. The first thing we learned is to the marrieds that God considers the marriage bed holy, and it is a God-given source of special pleasure between a husband and a wife. There's nothing wicked in it. There's nothing dirty in it. It is a special gift from God in a one-flesh relationship only within the covenant of marriage. B, in the decision to get married, you are making at the same time the decision to give your spouse their conjugal rights. If you're deciding to get married, you're deciding to give your partner their conjugal rights. If you want to be uh, celibate, remain single. That's not God's plan for the married. C, our bodies are not our own. They belong first to the Lord, and if you're married, secondarily to your spouse. Where does that put you? Last. We see that a lot in Scripture, right? God first, others second, myself last. It's not a new teaching. It's an extension of a true teaching. D, God intends for the marriage bed to be a powerful assistance in our holiness in a world of sexual brokenness. That is, God, if he's given you a marriage partner, has given you a, a, a cistern and a place in a way where all of this can flourish and you shouldn't have to run into the wilderness and perish. E, husbands and wives are not to deprive each other of this gift unless briefly by mutual consent, and for a God-honoring purpose. That's the ground we covered last week, and you can listen to that online if you missed it. Now we're going to cover some new ground, again, to the marrieds. In letters A through E, we spoke about the need for conjugal intimacy in a Christian marriage. And now in points F through H, we're going to speak about the disillusion of a marriage. You see, some saints wrongly thought sex was evil, which it isn't, and they went on to conclude that, well, if sex is evil, which it isn't, perhaps being married is somehow less holy than being single, where I could be singly devoted just to Jesus. And that might sound a little crazy to us, but we have the benefit of 1 Corinthians 7. They didn't have the benefit of 1 Corinthians 7. And, and so we have the clear counsel of Scripture. What did they have? They had good intentions. And the road to where is paved with what? You see, good intentions among Christians without scriptural direction will lead you the wrong way. Proverbs 19.2 puts it this way, it's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. So some saints in the church were ready to divorce their spouses thinking that somehow that was the most holy thing they could do. Wow. And that brings us to point F today. 
Two believers divorcing to become single does not make them more holy, it makes them less holy. (laughs) That seems awfully straightforward, but there are saints who missed it. Two believers divorcing to become single does not make them more holy, but less. Right there in verses 10 and 11. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now the first thing we need to address is the potentially enigmatic phrase, not I but the Lord. Uh, Paul is not saying that Jesus' statements are commands that we must follow, and his own are sort of just like suggestions you ought to think about. No, Paul also issues God-given commands. And no less an authority than the Apostle Peter understands Paul's words to be on par with Scripture. And I can prove that to you. So next to the not I but the Lord, I want you to write 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. There are not two levels of truth in Scripture, the main one and the side one. In 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, the Apostle Peter makes it clear. Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all of his letters, so it's God-given wisdom, all Scripture is God-breathed, no prophet wrote as his own, but as the Holy Spirit moved him. As he does in all of his letters, so every writing of Paul we have in the Bible is this, And when he speaks in all of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Isn't that great that Peter says there's some stuff Paul writes that's hard to understand? Do you ever feel that? What's he saying? Peter said, what's he saying? But it's still God's word, right? There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist. They take out of context, and they make them bend and make them say what they want to say to their own destruction. So you do that to your own destruction as they do. Now here it is, the other scriptures. What's he saying? He's saying Peter's saying that Paul's letters are just on par with all the other scriptures. Oh, thus saith the Lord when it's in scripture. So Paul is not saying Jesus' words are more inspired. He's simply saying Jesus never spoke about a mixed marriage. He only spoke about people that were both believers when they were married. And when Jesus spoke about two believers concerning divorce, in verse 12, he says something very clear. Verse 10, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. That's Jesus' clear teaching. Two believers ought not get divorced. Now I want to tell you right away, this isn't all the Bible has to say about divorce. This isn't all Jesus has to say about divorce. In the book of Malachi, the Bible tells us God hates divorce. Do you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say it hates divorced people. It doesn't say that. God hates the rending of the covenant made between those people and himself. Uh, God hates the pain it causes people for what God has joined together. What's it say? Let no man separate. Okay? Uh, God is grieved by divorce, but God also says, knowing the brokenness in this world and the hardness of our hearts, Moses, God permitted Moses to what? Permit divorce. It wasn't his best but in some cases, it was the rest. In fact, the Lord Jesus, on at least one situation, actually uh, permits, doesn't promote, but permits divorce. He, he offers an instance, the instance of adultery of one party. 
But we need to remember that Paul is not writing a treatise on divorce, which is why we can't take this text in isolation or we begin to take it out of context. He's answering one specific question. Can only the the, the lonely be holy? And remember, go back to verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, this was the Corinthian congregation question to their apostle, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And they're asking... Is it better for a believer to be celibate? Will that make me more intimate with the Almighty? And if so, and I'm right now married, should I refrain from sexual relations with my spouse? And the answer from the Word of God is no. Here it is again. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband, and the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. But this isn't misogyny because it's reciprocal. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So don't deprive one another. There it is right there. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement. You both say we want to do this for a limited time so that you may devote yourself to a spiritual purpose, to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So some folks were taking this a step further, and they were suggesting, you know what, instead of having sort of celibate, spiritual-only marriages, let's just get divorced. And so we can be more holy, of course. That would be more holy. We'll just be divorced. Because if I was single, I wouldn't be tempted to commingle, and we wouldn't have any problem in this area. This was their, their warped thinking. And bluntly countering that stinking thinking, the Bible says no. Two believers... Divorcing to become single does not make us more holy, it makes us less. That's the clear teaching of this passage. All right, so what happens then if I'm married to an unbeliever? You see, the Corinthians were coming to faith, and usually one person comes to faith first in a marriage. It's not always two people get saved on the same Sunday at the same service. Usually somebody comes to faith first. So the Corinthians were coming to faith, praise God. And some of them were already married before they came to faith, and so their spouse hadn't yet come to Jesus. And so these Christians wondered, you know, if sex is evil, which it isn't within the covenant of marriage, but remember, they're confused about that. And and if married people have sex, they knew that's how it worked. And since my partner is unsaved, therefore, am I unclean and unholy Am I not defiled in my union, particularly when it's conjugal with this unsaved person? You see how the math is working in their head. And as if those were not weighty enough queries, Paul said, hey, what about about our kids? Um, uh, These people are saying, the Apostle Paul, what about our children? And Satan is quick to whisper, oh, you must think about it. You better leave your spouse. Satan whispers, so that you can be holy and not worldly, and you better run away today because of the... He knows which buttons to push. He knows how to get us to move in unbiblical directions. So for the sake of the children, Satan whispers. Did you know Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy? So what's he want to do in your marriage and with your children? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't care one iota about your children. He loves to wreck marriages, doesn't he? Satan knows that divided homes decimated by divorce are particularly hard on the children. 
And so he insidiously and rather geniusly gets into some saint's head that somehow the best way to be holy is to divorce their unsaved spouses. It's a pretty clever lie, isn't it? It's like he's the master deceiver. It's like he's, I don't know, the father of lies. He has a PhD in misleading, misinforming, falsifying, fibbing, misstating, prevacating, double-dealing, double-crossing, and every other kind of truth-twisting you can imagine. And that's why the Bible is so clear that we ought not lean on our own understanding, but on the Word of God. Because if we are off, even just one degree, one degree, the farther I travel one degree off, I'll eventually end very far from God's intended destination for me as his Christian. So God graciously gives us letter G today, and here it is, letter G. A believer married to an unbeliever is not defiled by that union, nor are there children, but rather it affords opportunities to shine for Christ and perhaps persuade them to come to Christ. I'm going to say that again. A believer, so you get saved, and then you have this unsaved person you're married to. A believer married to an unbeliever is not defiled by that union, nor are there children, but rather it affords opportunities to shine for Christ and perhaps persuade them to come to Christ. Now, this isn't the Bible advocating mixed marriages. The Bible says don't do that. But if you find yourself in that situation, what do you do if that happens? So listen to the word of God and not the lies of the devil. Here it is, verse 12. To the rest I say, not, or I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce him, her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, the unbeliever wants to stay, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, you're going, what's with this holiness and contamination thing? Well, remember... Their whole life is very ritualistic. If you're a pagan, you have all these things in the temples. If, if you're a Jewish background believer, how did it work? If you were ceremonially clean and you came in contact with anything defiled, what happened? Did your cleanness overcome the defiled thing or does the defiled thing contaminate you? You get contaminated. If you were ceremonially unclean and you came in contact with something that was un if you were ceremonially clean, you came in contact with something that was unclean, you became unclean. And so they took this thinking of, oh, if I'm around unclean things, it's going to make me unclean. And they said that must be true in my marriage. It's pretty logical the way they're thinking. Believing that if I unite with my spouse and my spouse is not washed in the blood of the lamb, then I must become contaminated when we are conjugal. And this convoluted thinking is rather logical. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. But it wasn't theological. You see, it sort of makes sense on the surface to us, but it violated deeper truths of Scripture from God to us. And that's why we must be biblically discerning or we will be deceived. You see, the Bible is clear. You and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's presence resides within us. We've seen that in previous chapters. And the presence of the Holy Spirit overpowers the uncleanness amongst us. And so in that sense, my friends, it's the unbelieving husband who's made holy because of the believing wife in that union. And it's the unbelieving wife who's made holy because of the believing husband in that union. Now, this is not the sense that the unbelieving spouse is somehow saved. Don't don't understand that. That's not what it's saying. The only way to come to faith is to come to faith. You have to personally repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So the unsaved spouse is still unsaved either way. But the believer is not contaminated by this union because greater is he who is in me than he who is in my mixed marriage. Now you're following the logic biblically? Okay. So, in answer to the specific question, am I as a believer somehow defiled by being married to an unbeliever? The biblical answer is no and never. We are cleansed and cleansed forever and we remain forever cleansed because the Holy Spirit resides in us at the moment we trust in Jesus. And so whatever comes against us, it doesn't ultimately keep us from that standing of righteousness before God. Now what's true for the believer's spouse is also true for the believer's kids. Now read verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy holy. So we know that merely being married to a Christian can never make you a Christian. I want you to look at verse 16. In case you're going, is this, maybe he's wrong there. Maybe because I'm married to this person, bam, somehow they're saved. Well, look at verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? So you have an unsaved husband who's now made holy. You have an unsaved wife because you're married to them. They're now made holy, but they're still unsaved because you will. How do you know you will save them? Meaning right now they're not saved. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So clearly the holiness here is contaminational. It isn't uh, in regards to their status in the eyes of God as a believer. There's only one way to heaven, and you can't marry in. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So verse 14's statement that our unsaved spouses are made holy refers to the fact that believers are in no way defiled by honoring their marriage covenant they entered in before becoming a Christian. So this passage answers one question. That's why the only way this passage works is to understand our question. Their question, can only the lonely be holy? And Paul's answer on every level is, no. You can be holy in any station God has assigned you. The question is, will you be holy? You follow? Since holiness comes from Jesus... Believers can be holy in whatever marital status they find themselves in, married or single, divorced or widowed, engaged or not. Listen again to verses 17 to 23, and you're going to see that our outward circumstances do not negatively impact our inward holiness, providing our inward holiness is found in the Lord. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches, not just in Corinth. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not look to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. You want to be holy? Follow God's commandments. That's where it's at. Devotion to Jesus. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you're called? Don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, great. For he who is called to the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. 
Likewise, he was free when called is now a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever external condition each of us is called, let him do what? Remain with God. The issue is holiness has to do with how much I'm giving over to Jesus. You follow? Nothing else. So right about now, there's some saints in Corinth asking the question, all right, <laughs> so staying married isn't a problem, and my kids aren't a problem. I got another problem, Paul. My spouse wants out. So like two of us went to the altar, and there's now three of us at dinner, me, Jesus, and him. Me, Jesus, and her. And they don't like that. They didn't sign up for that, and they want out of that. The first thing I want you to see is very important. So listen to this very carefully. Many Christians have a weird and unbiblical belief that coming to Christ will solve all their problems. No, friend. Coming to Christ solves your greatest problem. Your alienation from Almighty God, and you can be eternally secure in Jesus, and you can have life abundantly through Jesus. Coming to Christ solves our greatest problems. But let me tell you, coming to Christ is going to generate some new problems. Amen? Don't let anybody tell you that it's otherwise. Having Jesus as Lord means that we're going to put Him first in our life. And that means that some other people who want to be first aren't going to like that. Your employer's not going to like that. Maybe your spouse won't like that. Maybe your in-laws or parents might not like that. Jesus sends you to the mission field and other people want you to not go. What do you do? Right? Sometimes coming to Christ causes deep frictions in our formal relations. Even in our marriages, in some cases, there is this new competition. And since a Christian's first desire is to honor their Lord, there are certain spouses who aren't real excited about your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's just how it is. It's not just true for Christians. Okay, So for those of you that listen to country music, Toby Keith speaks about when you change your priorities, you change your perspective. It's true, anytime you change your priorities, a Christian's primary allegiance is Jesus Christ, it's going to change their perspective on everything else. Toby Keith writes this, you may have heard the song, Now I'm painting the house and mending the fence. I guess I've gone out and lost all my good sense. Too much work is hard for your health. I could have died drinking, now I'm killing myself. Now I'm feeding the dog and sacking the trash. It's honey do this and honey do that. I sobered up and I got to thinking, girl, you aren't much fun since I quit drinking. Do you see how a change in priorities led to a change in... And if it's true for the bottle, how much more is it true for the God of the universe as your Lord? You see, a change in priorities always leads to a change in perspective. And so, what is a Christian to do if their spouse is an unbeliever, and that unbeliever says, I want out. And that brings us to letter H, and it might be different than what you would think God would say. Letter H says, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, and that unbeliever wants to leave the marriage, the Christian should permit them. The Christian should permit them, for God has called us to peace. And your presence in the marriage is no guarantee that they will come to Christ. I'll say that again. If a believer is married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wants to leave the marriage, the Christian should permit them, for God has called us to peace. You don't have to do this. But if the other party is determined to do this, you can permit it. 
For God has called us to peace, and your presence in the marriage is no guarantee they will come to Christ. Because right away, what will Satan say? You better stay married, because how else will they ever find Jesus? Because you've clearly been so good at it so far. In fact, you're so good at it that not only have they not come to Jesus, they don't even want to be around you. So you are clearly the prime person who will be the most effective evangelist. Verse 15, but if the, unbeliever part, if the unbelieving partner separates, not the Christian who separates, the non-Christian, well, you can let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. You don't have to continue. God has called you to peace. Sometimes to make peace, you have to let the warring party go. Right away, some saints will say, but, but if I let him go, how's he going to meet Jesus? And Paul anticipates this with verse 16. For how do you know, wife, that you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, that you will save your wife? And the answer is, you don't. You don't. We can't know. If an unbeliever wants to stay married to us, the Bible says stay married to them and love them. And by your life of, of shining for Jesus and loving on them, hopefully over time they come to see, I want to know this Jesus. Understand that being married to an unbeliever doesn't corrupt you uh, unless you choose to allow it to corrupt you. If they keep pulling you away from Jesus, then your allegiance is to Jesus. But you, just because you're together doesn't mean you have to do things that dishonor Jesus in your marriage. In fact, your influence might convert them, but you can't make them convert. Only they can choose that. You and I can't save people. So you want to write in your Bibles next to verse 16, Psalm 3.8, Psalm 3.8. Psalm 3.8 is quite clear. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We can point people to Jesus, and then they have to decide what they will do with Jesus. We cannot make people become Christians. A man converted against his will is yet unconverted still, right? 1 Peter 3 speaks of our godly influence that may just tip the scales in our spouse's thinking, but it's never guaranteed. 1 Peter 3, 1 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, they're unsaved, they may be won without a word, without nagging, without dragging, without Bible beating, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, that when you shine for Jesus in your marriage and in your life, it becomes so attractive that they begin to stop their resentment to Jesus. So to the married, stay married and enjoy and engage in all the aspects of marriage that God has encouraged married people to enjoy. But what about those who are not married? Good. Is it more holy to remain lonely? Should I remain single if I'm single? And that brings us to point two, to the unmarried. To the unmarried, letter A today. To the unmarried, consider if God has gifted you with singleness. So if you're not married right now, the first question you should have is not, am I supposed to have a, you know, who is my spouse supposed to be? That's usually our first question. The first question ought to be, am I supposed to have a spouse? Isn't that interesting? Paul says it this way. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all people were as I am. He's single, but each has his own gift from God. Oh, so singleness is a gift. What's our point? Consider if God has gifted you for singleness. One of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. God's word says, God's word says, the word of God says, some saints have the gift of singleness. And I have met some saints who are looking for a returns department. Let me tell you right now, friends, the only thing worse than being single and wishing you were married Getting married when it wasn't God's plan, 
wishing for the rest of your life you were Paul says it's good to be single. Why don't Christians think that? You know, you're not defective if you're single. You're not unlovable or unlovely if you're single. It just means you might be gifted in singleness. Or it means that God has not yet brought about that person that he has for you. And God may well have a very strategic plan for you in your singleness, whether that's for now or forever. If being single was a sign of being defective, you're going to have to say that Jesus was defective because last time I checked, he was single. Be very careful. The church has inserted something insidious. Yes, generally speaking, it's not good for man to be alone, but not always. Some of us have the gift of singleness. It was God's plan for the apostle Paul to be single. We don't know if he was widowed. We don't know if his wife left him. We don't know if he never had a wife, but he didn't have a wife here. And if you think about Paul's life, he went from here to here to here. Two days, two weeks, two months, three years, then he was there. And usually when he left, it's because they beat the stuffing out of him. That would be super awesome to be married to that, wouldn't it? Where are we going this week? I don't know. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I just got beat again. It'd be tough to raise a family like that, wouldn't it? Is it any surprise that God, in his infinite wisdom, didn't ask Paul to have one of those? God had a particular calling on Paul's life, a calling that did not include a wife, and that was okay. In fact, that was good. That was God's good gift to Paul. Verse 8, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. There are tremendous kingdom opportunities for singles that married folks, and particularly parents, do not have. Which is why Paul says, verse 7, I wish that all Christians were like myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. You know what he doesn't say? I wish all Christians were married. What do Christians say? I wish everyone was married. So if you have a kid, you're like, when are you getting married? And if somebody's an effective servant of Christ, shining for Christ, maybe more holy than anyone you know, and you go, hey, but when are you getting... What are you kind of saying? That you disagree with God's word. What you're kind of saying. What you're kind of saying. I wish everyone were as I were myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. If God is calling you to singleness, what plan does he have for you in your singleness? That your time, your talents, and your treasures are best utilized for the kingdom of God, best achieved for the Lord God in singleness. Look at it another way without the limitations of matrimony. That's how the Bible wants you to look at it. Did you know, and Doug is here, uh, some of the finest missionaries I know are single missionaries. Amen, Doug? Some of the finest, most dedicated, most relentless, most tireless, hardest working, gifted, godly servants I know are single missionaries. They've been able to serve with a single-minded devotion that has been God's gift to their mission station and has enormously in, uh, impacted God's kingdom's expansion. And many of them, I know, in a second could have been married. They were not defective, and there were many that would have liked to marry them, and they said that wasn't God's plan. And that was a very difficult thing to accept. I've known many singles and many widows who've been wonderful servants of Jesus, who've harnessed that attendant freedom of time that singleness uniquely affords the Christian to be a strategic kingdom catalyst and do ministries in the local church 
that others don't have time for or don't make time for. And so if you're single today and the devil is whispering, if you are married, then I'd like you to look at point C. Marriage has its own challenges. Marriage has its own challenges. And it is no panacea. Marriage has its own challenges and it is no panacea. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman, an engaged woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I want to spare you that. What kind of worldly troubles befall married folks? Well, look again at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are therefore divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided attention. That is, we can get more stuff done and we can be more focused on Jesus if we're where we should be. Sadly, I know some Christians who would love to serve Jesus more robustly but their spouse has other plans for Sunday. Do you? I know some saints who would love to host a Bible study, but right now they have a team of tiny terrorists that need to be tucked in or the house is going to burn down. So right now they can't do that. I know some saints who are eager to serve on a given Sunday, but little Johnny just swallowed his Hot Wheels and they're at the emergency room seeing if that can be extracted. I know some saints who would give their right arm to go to the mission field but their spouse won't live more than 20 minutes from a Starbucks. I know some saints who feel called to seminary, but their spouse said, no, no, we need to keep our good jobs here. I know some pastors who feel called to certain churches, but their spouse won't live more than 20 minutes from mama. Friends, understand that being single has a number of very special freedoms. We don't talk about those freedoms, so you always think you're cheated. You're not. These are freedoms Satan wants to keep you ignorant of. You see, the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. That means Satan is always going to strive to get us to what? Not be happy in where God has put us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we are single, Satan will try to get us to long for some perfect partner, some knight in shining armor. If we're married, <laughs> Satan will whisper, well, you got the wrong one. If you'd only married that one, maybe you should recruit. Then you'd be happy. Now, it may well be that you are single and you long for a spouse because that is God's plan for you and therefore you need to wait on the Lord until that spouse is brought to you. Here's what I don't want you to do, Christian. I don't want you to settle. Don't settle for anything less than God's best. And when you find it, don't be paralyzed by FOMO, fear of missing out somewhere. There's somebody better. I can't possibly. Or Stabo. Well, I'd like to marry you, but that's subject to a better offer. Right? That's why people don't go out on Friday night. Well, hey, we're all going out and doing this. That sounds great, but I don't know if I should go because there might be something better. So you end up just petting the cat all alone, watching Netflix. Don't settle for something less than God's best. And don't be afraid when God's best comes that there's FOMO and Stabo holding you back. 
Which brings us to point D. If you determine that God's plan is not for you to be single, you need to feel free to marry as long as you do so in the Lord. You need to feel free to marry as long as you do so in the Lord. Look at verse 6. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Time is our enemy. There's 40 verses. We have three Sundays. Next week we're going to look at what does he mean by in the Lord. So tune back in. But for now, just understand, if, if you determine through prayer that it isn't God's plan for you to be single, understand you have the freedom to marry, but you must do it in the Lord, and next week we will look at that. So let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so to the married, let us always remember that two believers divorcing to become single never makes us more holy, but rather less so. Let us remember for those of us that are in a mixed marriage and we're waiting for our spouse to come to Christ, we're not defiled by this union. We're not less Christian or Christ-like because of this union. Our children are not necessarily impeded in this union. All we need to do is shine for you and we are clean in Christ and we are influential when we follow the word of Christ. If we're in a situation where we're married to an unbeliever and they are wanting out, then give us the courage to be willing to make peace. That is hard. Give us the freedom to understand that salvation is the Lord's and how will we know for certain whether we might or might not save them. And if we're here today and we have yet to have been given our spouse, may we consider if God has gifted you for singleness. And it really doesn't matter what mom and dad who want grandkids and friends who might be running to the altar, some of them running later to the tissue box because they've settled and now it's painful. Lord, would you speak to your people if you've gifted them for singleness? May they start asking you that and may you confirm it or deny it. You're God and you know how to lead. The scriptures say the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of the dawn getting ever brighter to the fullness of day. And so you'll give them enough truth for the next right step, how to honor you in this moment in singleness until you bring them to either an acceptance of that as your plan or the person that you have for them. If, Lord, someone is single at this moment, may they consider what their strategic kingdom purpose is in their singleness. Perhaps they're only going to be single for another year or two years. May they use that time of maximum availability to achieve maximum productivity for your maximum glory. May we all remember that marriage has its own challenges and is no panacea. That's why there's all those jokes about marriage and the honeymoon is over and blah, 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 because... Marriage is not a panacea, it creates its own problems. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's biblical, but it's not easy. Lord, if there's someone here that is single and has, through prayer, realized that it is not probably your plan for them to be single, then Lord, help them to find that special one that you have for them, that help meet suitable for them, that's in the Lord. That's not only a believer, but a believer who nudges them forward in Christ-likeness. May we not have any saints among us who regret 
but may we instead have saints who listen and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.